Our medical system is a machine made up of many moving parts. Each one is integral. Each one is essential. Welcome to Talking With Our Mouths Full. I'm Nightingale. And I'm Michael Chan. And Nightingale, I have been playing a lot of Among Us. And I just can't help noticing that you're a little bit sus today. So let me ask you, are you actually Nightingale, my co-host, or are you the other Nightingale who tried to take your place back in December? I need to know. All right. Vote me off the island. Vote me off the ship. Bye. (laughs) Because, yeah, I have an airlock waiting for you so I can blast you out into space if you're not my Nightingale. All good. Oh my god, now you are terrible at these games. If you gotta we vote have... me out, then vote me out. <laughs> oh lord. We have a guest waiting for us, so let's bring him in. Today we are honored to have with us the finest looking medical laboratory technologist in all of Canada. He is the one, the only Dennis. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Can I can I just can I just say something? Like every time you introduce your guests, you should probably put in like put in like have them put in like their own like theme music and and introduce them all like WWE style with like the pyro and. (laughs) <laughs> you know what? I, I wish we could do I wish there was a way to encapsulate visual pyro into an audio format without you know blowing out people's eardrums. I know and have, that would be so have copyrighted music that we can actually use because I would love that so much. But yes, yes, we should definitely have WWE, I don't know, sports style. Entrance, like you have music. entrance music, like your walk-up music when you go off the bat or anything, something ridiculous. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. But we're going on a massive tangent. Let's start into an interview with you. And let's start with a very hard-hitting question. Dennis. Lay it on me. How have you been eating during the pandemic? How have I been eating? Um, mm-hmm. um I guess you could say I've been eating Okay. I thought like, you'd be I'm pretty ter- fine because Michael kept saying you were a very fine dude. You oh uh, yeah, that was that was a bit of a missed opportunity there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is very true. Um, has your has your has your eating has the, has your food changed since the pandemic started? I've been I've spent a lot. I've noticed I've spent more money supporting a lot of these smaller smaller eateries. Uh, especially like for me, I live in Scarborough, and I'm lucky enough that Scarborough is filled with plenty of really, really, really good uh, places to eat. So every so often, if if I'm off work and I feel like going out to grab a bite to eat, I'll just get in my car and I'll drive out somewhere. And depending on how I'm feeling, I'll go and grab it myself. Because you know what? Especially with everything that's going on right now, I think these small mom and pop type restaurants need the money a lot. And Mm-hmm. For me, as somebody who's still lucky enough to be able to go to work every day, um, you know, it's just a way, it's just a small way for me to show them show them my support. Well, that's good to hear. And in that vein, we are today going to be uh, talking about Ginza Sushi Express, which is a business we'd like to support. Uh, I actually uh, discovered them during the pandemic. They are at uh, ten eight hundred Bayview Avenue, Block B, Unit Six. That's uh, that's a Bayview and Elgin Mills in Richmond Hill. 
um, yeah, I, uh, I've been ordering sushi from them for, for months now. And, uh, my wife and I always have uh, a, a really good meal because uh, all of their stuff is fresh. So Nightingale, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Ginza Sushi Express? This is the takeout location of Ginza Japanese and Thai, which has two restaurants, one in Maple and one in Thornhill. Established in 1995, Ginza has been proudly serving the neighborhoods it's in for over 20 years, where classical Japanese flavors and techniques are combined with modern elements to create a truly unique dining experience enjoyed by the multicultural community with fresh ingredients as a priority and popular Thai dishes added to the menu. Their goal is to serve each and every one of their guests by offering affordable Japanese and Thai cuisine in a pleasant atmosphere. Also takeout experience Mm -hmm. too. Yes. So because I discovered them during the pandemic and only their takeout location, uh, I'm excited for this pandemic to be over so I can actually visit their restaurant locations. Now today I uh, got, I'm pulling out the chopsticks and i'm gonna crack them yeah there's the chopsticks breaking crack uh i got some gyoza oh look at that Mm, looks Mm. good my family already ate so there's some missing comes with five and then this is the green dragon roll and the california rolls is that what you normally get when you go out for sushi? No, I usually get a lot more when I go to restaurants. I get a lot more stuff with like fish and, and tamago. I get sashimi as well. But today we just, uh, my family wanted to eat simple. So mm-hmm. this is as simple as it gets. We are also now choosing things that uh, our daughter, who's two years and 10 months, can eat over things that are more for us. Like she, she can't eat raw fish yet, so... We avoid that these days. But when she's older, there's definitely going to be a larger variety of foods here. But right now, she can eat everything. What do you normally order from sushi, Dennis? Uh, what do I usually order? Uh, usually a little bit of everything. I'm not a I'm not a super picky eater, so I'll eat whatever looks good on the menu. Although I I will say I am a huge sucker for. Uh, for the uh, sweet pota- uh, sweet potato tempura. Same here. Oh my god, I love sweet potato tempura. It's so mm. good. Love it. Love it. All right, moving from food that you eat to brain food so people can learn stuff. Dennis, you are a medical laboratory technologist. Mm-hmm, that's correct. What do you do? Uh, in a nutshell, uh, because honestly, I think describing this would probably take a little bit, would be very, very wordy. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. I think the best way to describe my my job would be we are responsible for determining normal and abnormal components. Uh, you test it by testing things such as the uh, bodily fluids, uh, blood, urine, uh, your spinal fluid, uh, gastric juices. Uh, we also analyze uh, red blood cells by counting them, identifying them by using uh, microscopic techniques and procedures, and um, we use very sophisticated uh, equipment to basically determine anything from whether you're pregnant to uh, to finding uh, tumor markers and your electrolyte levels and basically everything in between. That's just like a small snippet of basically what we do. The tip of the and iceberg. Literally, and literally guys, the tip of the iceberg. And medical laboratory professionals have been working through the entire pandemic. Yes, that is correct. I I would say you guys are quite essential, heroes even, but yet you guys are totally underappreciated. Thank you. Thank you. I agree. We definitely are underappreciated. 
Like, for example, if I remember correctly, you guys didn't get that uh, extra pay that some other professions got during the pandemic, right? We did not. We did not. And I will be truthfully honest, that's still something that kind of irks me a little bit. But uh, yeah, it's just it was just honestly, when it was announced, I just don't think personal opinion. Um, I don't think it was honestly rolled out in the best possible way. I think it's mm-hmm. like, don't get me wrong. Like there are obviously very there are obviously certain professions that absolutely deserve this pay. Um, your, of your PSWs in long-term care homes, your nurses working directly with COVID patients, like those those professions, totally get it, totally understand. Although I will say this, I think from I think for me personally, um, it was never really about getting the extra. I think it was like four dollars an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. I I can't remember exactly what it was. This is like so long ago. Like can you like can you like just going off topic a little bit? Can you like just all the crap that's gone on in twenty twenty? Like I don't even remember half of the stuff that happened anymore. Just so much has happened last year. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just it's so difficult because I I was I did talk to quite a few friends about this. Like, can how do you even sum up last year? It was nuts, and it's still nuts right now. Yeah, there really is. But yeah. yeah. When, when I talk about underappreciated, it's not even just about the money. You're right. It's it's just a general opinion of your profession and how it's represented, for example, in the media, in the mainstream media. You guys yeah. barely get talked about, and you know, yet your work is essential. Some of you uh, handle uh, live COVID cultures, correct? Yeah. So basically, we're basically the ones that are responsible for doing all of the, the COVID-19 swab testing. Um, so my profession, uh, the, the medical laboratory profession is split into five disciplines, um, transfusion medicine, hematology, clinical chemistry, histopathology, and the last one is microbiology. So for us, and I think the main thing that I think people need to realize is that there's only our, our profession is small enough that everybody knows everyone to some, to some, to some extent. Mm-hmm. And I I can't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head for how many technologists are working in Ontario specifically. But back in 2018, I believe there were about 6,400 registered MLTs in Ontario. And of those several thousand MLTs, not all of us are those actually processing the COVID samples. So if you're waiting for the results of a COVID test and it's taken a little longer than you expect, just bear with us, please. We're we're doing our best with the resources that we have at our disposal. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yeah, obviously, not all of you would be dealing with uh, COVID uh, samples, just because there's so many other areas that need members of your profession. Like, I have a family member who has gotten tons of tests because they have cancer, mm-hmm. and you know, they they get lab tests results all the time. And it's people like yourself who have to go and process all of those, those tests, right? And those lab results come from lab professionals. So, you know, you're one of the most integral parts of the medical field itself, because, you know, how on earth are doctors going to have results to actually look at for patients and then properly, properly treat them? Yeah. And something that I, I, one of, when I was a student, when I first started working, uh, Somebody told me told me this, and I can't remember what it was that she ex- explicitly said, but I think she said if she said I think she said something to the effect of 
the doctors and nurses are the heart and soul of the hospital, but the laboratory is the brains. So if without us, the doctors would just be guessing, essentially, is what it would is what would be happening. So mm-hmm. it sucks that it took a global pandemic for the media to kind of realize the role that we play in this profession in in the medical profession. But I hope I I think the main I am cautiously optimistic that after this is all said and done, that um, people kind of have a better awareness of what it is that we do and the work that we and all the work that we put in every single day just to ensure that our population is as healthy as they they can possibly be. I hope so too. So let's um, let's go back in time a little bit to your childhood, just so so people can get a, a picture of how you. I guess your journey to becoming a medical laboratory a technologist. So, MLT. So, where were you born? I was a I'm a Toronto lifer, born and raised here. Uh, nice. Was, yep, uh, born downtown uh, in downtown Toronto to uh, Malaysian Chinese immigrants. Ooh. So I am uh, I have Malaysian uh, Malaysian roots. So when you uh, were, uh, yeah. So I lived I lived uh, downtown Toronto for the first three years of my life. Then we moved out to Scarborough, and I've been there ever since. I uh, I grew up part of my life in Scarborough in Agent Court, so uh, I'm no, still there. Uh, that's where I. That's where. Oh, I moved that's to. where you are. Yep. Nice. Well, nice to to meet a fellow Asian quarter. <laughs> oh my god! Right. I, I yep. I right? you know what in in high school like I went to Agent Court Collegiate, and when I was in high school, everybody and their mother would always say like, "Oh, you went to Asian Court," and I'm like, I would always roll my eyes, but. Deep down, I knew it was true. It is. It is very, very true. Um, I left before it became what it is today. Like, well, I, I left right at the beginning of it when it became started becoming very Asian. It was very Greek when I was uh, when I was young, but then I had to take a French course in uh, a in summer school in high school, and I went back to <laughs> Asian court uh, collegiate, and oh my god, I was like, wow. Wow, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. a lot of Asians. <laughs> and I thought I, I like was, to uh, I like to think that it's now become a little bit more multicultural. Granted, I haven't been back in years, so I have no idea what the student body is like now. It is true. I was I, I am quite old, so yes, I was quite young, and it's been a while since I was there uh, in high school. So yeah, hopefully it has changed. So growing up in Scarborough, um, mm-hmm. did your parents teach you to speak Chinese? Did they uh, or Malaysian? Uh, they taught me to speak. Uh, they t- they tried to teach me to speak Chinese. Uh, so at home, I I speak with my parents in basically a mix of Mandarin and uh, English. Mm-hmm. So I learned I learned I had to learn Mandarin uh, mainly. Um, for, I did end up picking uh, Cantonese as well. Oh, so wow. I can yeah, I can speak both. Not very well, but somewhat enough to to kind of sort of get by. <laughs> I think part of it was be- sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you know, you go ahead. Part of it um, was Yeah, no, it was I think the only reason I picked up Cantonese is because like my mom is a my mom is a hairstylist and a lot of her and some like on her days off that she's not working at her at a hair salon, she like we have a portion of our basement that's like turned into like a mini like a mini salon. So mm-hmm. a lot of her clientele uh, spoke Cantonese. So she eventually, I think she taught herself to basically speak Cantonese. So for her, so now she can speak both Mandarin and Cantonese fluently. And I eventually, as I was growing up, I kind of picked up little bits and pieces here and there. And that's the extent of my Cantonese. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's cool. Did you uh, also practice like Chinese traditions, uh, celebrate Chinese holidays, and all that growing up? Yes, yes, we did do. Uh, we did. We did Chinese New Year, the Mooncake Festival, and all that stuff. Uh, granted, it it was a little bit different for us because my ex- entire extended family all live on the other side of the world in Malaysia and Singapore. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the luxury of having aunts and uncles here to celebrate Chinese New Year and whatnot with them. So usually our celebrations are very low key, very small. It's just my parents, my younger brother, and myself. Did the uh, Malaysian side of your uh, of your family factor into your growing up? Uh not really. Like, because honestly, the the whole Malaysian side of it was mo- mostly the food. <laughs> if I'm being truthfully honest. Well, tell tell us about the food. I'd love to hear more about that. Oh boy, uh, Malaysian cuisine is is something. Let me tell you, it's like if. Chinese cuisine, Indian cuisine, and Indo-Malay cuisine all came together and had a weird love child. That's what Malaysian cuisine is. Wow. It is. It's incredible. And for anybody that's a foodie, I strongly, strongly, strongly recommend you visit uh, Singapore and Malaysia. Heck, even all of Southeastern Asia in general has a huge food scene that is unparalleled. I agree. What is there? Is there anywhere here that uh, you could recommend that that has... that does good Malaysian food? Yeah. Uh, see, that's that the un- that's the most unfortunate part of it all. There's honestly that this might be because I'm biased because I've been around Malaysian food my whole life, so my palate might be a little bit more refined. But there's really not a whole lot of Malaysian slash Singaporean cuisines. Have you tried Malaysian restaurant? Yeah, I actually live like I could walk to that uh, place if I wanted to. I live that close. Oh, and so how are it, they? In your opinion, they're not. They're not bad. They're not bad. The rotis are pretty good. Yes, their roti is pretty good. Uh, honestly, my go-to for Malaysian cuisine nowadays is is it's this tiny, tiny little dinky corner store in like a little mini plaza right oh, around is Asian it the, the one two snack or something. Yes, one two snacks. Like that place is amazing if you've okay. never been you absolutely have to go they're granted i don't know out. If... they're always sold out you gotta like no i want to try oh if you want to try you'd better get there early because they sell out quick like even pre-pandemic um there yeah. will always line ups out the door oh. what do you always it's get that for good. one two snack i get the uh the fried rice noodles the malaysian fried rice noodles mm-hmm. oh like so tail? good how quite you yes yes it's so good, so good. I am, I am mentally noting all of this, and I mean it's being recorded, but, but uh, yeah, I need to try all this stuff. Yes, I, you absolutely, absolutely have to go. It's like, it's this little hole in the wall type place that is is honestly one of the best places to go for if you want to get legit Malaysian food. Uh, the only other place I can think of right off the top of my head is a place in Mississauga called Lion City. I think it was called. I think. I think it was called Lion City. Yeah, I think that place isn't bad. I tried it for the first time uh, last year. and Sorry, not last year. The year before. 2019. (laughs) Yeah, I tried it in 2019 and it wasn't wasn't bad. So uh, did your parents cook a lot of Malaysian food when you were growing up? Yeah, they definitely did. Uh, A lot of it. uh, The Malaysian curry. 
Their curry is so good. Mm. And the rendang? Yes, the rendang curry. Mm-hmm. Chicken rendang. Gado, gado. Golden. Love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Um, I will say this, like, Malaysian cuisine tends to be, tends to trend a little more on the spicier side. So if you can't handle your heat, then I wouldn't recommend trying some of this food. No, I'm a spice wimp. Nightingale's even is worse. Not bad. What's that? Gado, gado. No, that's that's true. It's not, it's not that bad. There are like there are some. There's quite a few things that still can be that are yours. still good. Yeah, the satay is the chicken satay is good. Um, as long as you have roti, you're pretty okay. Yeah, but if you want like the real like the, yeah the real flavors, the real flavors, the legit like experience, like you gotta go, you gotta fly out to Malaysia or Singapore. Like it's and bring it's lots of water there. and milk, Michael. Yes, absolutely. It might have to bring you along because, you know, when we did our spicy ramen challenge, you brought me back to life. Yeah. I just yeah. had to bring alcohol. Yes. A variety. Yes, you and you just had to pick one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quite a quite a few beers and, and whatnot. Um, growing up, did you always know that you were going to work in the medical field or did that come later on? Um. Like, I didn't just wake up one day and be like, you know what? I want to be a medical laboratory technologist. That's what I want to do. You're like, because I you didn't wanted wake to wake up, up and day. you were like, I wanted to be a fine MLT. Well, I mean, I'd like to think I already am a fine MLT, Knight. <laughs> Finally, right? he gets it now. <laughs> I already, I'd like to think that I, I, I am a fine MLT. But no, um, I, for me... <laughs> sorry. Was I interrupting? Oh, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, like, the way you look now, you just you, that's just the way you wake up every single day. You're damn fine. If I didn't know any better, I'd think you were hitting on me there, Michael. Who knows? Who knows if I am or not? Woo! Well, I mean, <laughs> once this pandemic is over, I mean, I'm sure we can figure something we can out. Hook up? We can hook up? Maybe. <laughs> in your lab? Uh, maybe not in the lab. Aw, because you got to keep it clean, right? Yes. Things not are risking, about to get not risking contempt. Yeah. Okay. Keeping this family, a family show. Uh, <laughs> Keeping Michael married. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure Jessica will be okay with this. <laughs> I hope so too. Jessica, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. <laughs> She's gonna slap me when she listens to this. Um, moving back to where we were. <laughs> uh so were you were you always good at science like was that like did, for example did you did you go to university for science yes yes i did uh so just to answer to answer your previous question if i wanted if i wanted to be in the medical field i i knew from a young age that that was definitely something i wanted to do mm-hmm. um to what extent in the medical field specifically i didn't know but at the time i think 10 year old me was like you know what i'm gonna I'll let that stuff boil down once when I get older. But I knew for a fact that I wanted to be in the medical field. Uh, so, yeah, I did go to university. I went to University of Toronto. I did my degree in uh, molecular biology. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a human biologist from U of T. Yeah. That was like the number one <laughs> major yeah. class specialist for most, uh, most people I knew. Uh, yeah, no, I did my degree in uh, molecular biology. I spent... Uh, did my undergrad for four years. Uh, realized in my fourth year that I did not want to get into research and do my and do my master's in that. So at that point, it was kind of like a 
oh crap, what am I going to do for the rest of my life moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny because, like, I actually, I still, I really do like kind of telling this story. So basically what happened was it was around my fourth year of undergrad and I, I was in the middle of having this, my, my whole, would you call it a quarter life crisis? Like if yeah, I didn't yeah. know I, I would, that. I would, I would, uh, yeah, you can totally call it that. Okay. Yeah. I'll, let's, let's say I was having like my quarter life crisis and I literally had no idea what I wanted to do after graduation. And I was like, crap, I don't know what I'm going to do. I knew for a fact I didn't want to get into research because I, for me, I wasn't about to jump through all the academic red tape and the, the butt kissing for lack of a better term. <laughs> so one, I remember one day I was, I was cleaning up my room and I stumbled across uh, the admissions view book for, for a place in for a school in downtown Toronto called the Missionary Institute. And I, I only happened to have this view book because back in high school, we went to the Missionary Institute for, I think it was a grade 11 biology field trip. And I guess I thought it was prudent enough to grab a view book before I left because I looked at it when I was cleaning my room and I thought, why the heck have I not considered this? So I went, I did my research, looked through the programs that they offered, saw I had some time to apply. I gathered all my documents, applied, and then ended up getting accepted later on that year. And here we are now, uh, seven years later. Wow. How was Minchiner? How was that? Uh, how was that journey? That was, it was, I was tough. I will say, uh, the program was very intense. Uh, it's basically my pro the program at Michener is two years of theory and a year. Well, not necessarily a year. I'd say five months of practical experience at a, at a hospital in a hospital setting. Mm -hmm. So first two years, you kind of build up that knowledge base of what to expect, like of what you're, what you're learning as part of the profession. And then you kind of, you then have to apply that everything that you've learned where in, in a missionary, there's something called a simulated clinical where they basically tell you to, you're basically simulating the knowledge that you've learned in like a clinical setting, but not necessarily quote unquote, like in a clinical setting, right? Air, air quotes here. Um, so, and then after that, you then had five months, one for each discipline, um, spent shadowing in the actual clinical environment and learning, applying everything that you've learned into that environment. And then after that, you then have to write a national certification exam, pass that, and then officially get licensed with the province of Ontario. Wow. And then you can finally work. Just wow. That, that is a, a lot of work to, to get to where you are. Yeah, it was in, in total. I think it was, it was including my years in undergrad. It was about seven years of school, I think. Yeah, seven years. Well, that's uh, that's incredible. That that's a lot of uh, a lot of education for your for your discipline, and that's uh, this is why we appreciate it. Yeah, that is that is indeed, and it's 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 a tragedy that uh, that you guys aren't appreciated more. So, uh, pandemic hits. How have things been for for you and for at work and outside of work? Um, you know what? All things considered, with everything that's gone on, we are what are we at? We're like month ten into global pandemic, and as of recording, we are what are we? I think two weeks into province wide lockdown. Is that right? 
mm-hmm. or something to that effect. Um, you know what? With everything that's gone on, I will say that I'm I've been doing okay. You know, I've I'm incredibly lucky that I get to still be able to go to work, still wake up every day, go to work, do my job, and you know, for the most part, my routine has not has not changed much, if at all. I think the only thing that's changed is the was the the lack of traffic on the highways. Man, I missed that traffic. Yeah. Like the first couple months of the pandemic, when everybody was was at home and afraid to go out, like getting to work was an absolute breeze. I could wake up a little later and still get to work on time, and I loved it. I never had to deal with any like traffic headaches or anything like that. It was great. Well, now uh, now we're slowly, even though we're still in lockdown, we're getting back to old traffic where it's not rush hours, rush day. Yeah, it's a whole rush day. I know. Yeah, pretty much. That's mm-hmm. Toronto. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, in terms of like within work, it's like my job hasn't hasn't changed. Like for me, like personal, like for myself, I work in the I work in a hospital, a blood bank. Mm-hmm. So basically, my job is, in a nutshell, is I basically tell. I basically do uh, figure out blood types of patients and I basically perform testing on various uh, blood and blood products and I prep them for transfusions uh, by performing various um, blood group type and compatibility tests. What blood types are you are you guys, by the way? Do you guys know? Universal donor. Same oh, so here. you're O-pause? Both of you O-pause? Yep. Nice, nice, nice. I'm an A-pause. It's the only A-plus I'll ever get in my life, but, you know, that's okay. <laughs> So that's why you were born very fine. A plus Mm -hmm. dude. I'm an A plus dude. That's exactly right. Yep. (laughs) So um, do you, did, has, has things increased? Cause have you had to do a lot more tests with the pandemic here? Because you have your normal tests and then there's like all the COVID stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, Like on a normal, on a normal day, like we still get, we still have to deal, deal with all, deal with all the blood work in terms of like, from all the inpatient floors, all the surgical floors. Um, we still like, we're like the hospital I work at is one of the, the one of the main cardiac centers for the West GTA. Mm-hmm. So I'm often dealing with a lot of, of dealing with a lot of cardiac surgeries. So those are still going on. However, there was a period in time where during like earlier on in the pandemic where they canceled surgeries. Right. Uh, so during that period of time, things slowed down significantly for us because basically without surgeries, it was basically us. We were basically just kind of dealing with all of the other, all the regular work from, from the floor, from like the inpatient floors. Right. So, I mean, now, now it's, uh, now that surgeries are still, are still, they're still going on now. It's for the most part, my like, it's still back. It's still business as usual. However, the one thing I have noticed is that uh, there's a lot more surgeries that start to go bad. Oh, because in what way? without getting into without violating any privacy laws, um, right? HIPAA? Of course, yeah, without violating HIPAA or anything like that. I think part of it is because of the fact that when everything was locked down, a lot of patients weren't able to get like to come in for their routine like checkups to get their blood work done. Um, especially for patients that had that already were dealing with multiple comorbidities, uh, without them without them getting like they're tr- dealing with it properly, things often snowball, and when then when you end up on the operating table, 
oftentimes things can go south and oh jeez yeah so we it's it is it's something that i have noticed a tr- i've noticed a little bit a little bit more of so yeah that that uh they cannot be good for the mental health of uh, all the medical practitioners involved eh i you know it's i mean i the, the surgeons the surgeons do a, a hell of a job so Thank i you. mean i have i have no doubt that they're they're in um, they're in amazing hands but it's just it was just one of those it's just one of those things that i that i just happened to notice over the course of over the course of this pandemic that's unfortunate so as we have vaccines rolling out and all that what is your i guess what is your hope uh that will happen with the medical industry and and with your industry itself uh i if i'm being honest i for me like for me personally my role I'm not seeing patients like on a face-to-face basis. Right. So in terms of getting the vaccine, I personally think that there are other healthcare workers that should be higher on the priority list than me. Mm-hmm. So I am more than happy waiting my turn. With that being said, though, I have, I have heard of a couple of my coworkers uh, that already did get their first shots. So with that, hearing that, it makes me cautiously optimistic that I'm able to actually get it earlier than I expected. Like I wasn't, if I'm being honest, I think I wanted, I was expecting to get my shot probably sometime in late February, early March. So the fact that I'm, that one of my class, one of my classmates, my former classmates already had her first shot and a couple of my coworkers already got their shot, their first shots, gives me hope. It gives me hope. I have hope for you guys too. I definitely do. So as we're starting to near the end of this uh, this episode, I just wanted to devote a few minutes to some other things you had mentioned to us that you wanted to talk about. So how has your uh, mental health been during the pandemic? Uh, it's it's been a, it's been a roller coaster to say the least. Um, I think with everything that's kind of going on, it's it's kind of hard to not feel. Like there have been, there are some days where I sometimes I'll feel like I'm not, I feel like I'm not doing enough, especially when you, when you see what's happening, not just, not just here in Ontario, but like to our, our neighbors to the South and the States where you're seeing, it's basically like a raging forest fire over down there. And it doesn't help that like when you're, when you're working, dealing with like the 24 hour news cycle online, like you're, it's, you're constantly getting bombarded with so much it's like pretty much sensory overload and you're getting it gets to the point where you're just like you kind of have to take a step back and be like you know what i need to not look at this and kind of stay away from social media so i know for myself i did take a bit of like a social media like cleanse i guess a cleanse if you want to call it that for for a brief spell just to kind of like not think about it about the state like try not to think about everything that's going on and whatnot and just kind of focus on myself um I've been, i actually have been going to therapy as well oh that's good yeah is um, it online or it now now it's online obviously but before uh before it was i tried i did try to go in person um of course yeah I, honestly i i can't stress enough especially with what's going on right now how much how important our mental health is. Um, honestly, I, I, the only thing I can say is just, you know, take care of each other. Reach out, reach out to your friends too. Like 
some people might be dealing with something that you're there you're not even aware of and honestly all it takes is a phone call or a text saying hey how you doing missing just miss you a lot and just wanted to check on you and see how you're doing you know it means a lot sure does so one of the things that probably can't be good for for people's mental health is uh and and you you talked a little bit about it already the news and just social media and the amount of uh, i guess disinformation and misinformation uh being disseminated out there i know that you feel very strongly about that yes uh i i guess you could say that (laughs) (laughs) i i think it's it's hard because you've you read online and of all of the, all the COVID denial, like you hear people like thinking that it's, it's all a hoax and, and they're saying, Oh, it's not real. It's just the flu. Everybody survives it. And yada, 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 you know, all that stuff. And it's, it kind of, it almost makes my blood boil. Cause it's like, it's not simply because of the fact that it's just a flu. Like, I don't know if people realize this, but it's like our, our healthcare system is woefully underfunded right now. And there's like, I'm sure you, I'm sure you hear like the case counts that are, that get announced every morning. And it's, Mm -hmm. you see like the big, like the big cutoffs for ICU capacity and how, if we pass a certain point that we're going to have to start canceling elective surgeries again. And I think the main thing that I hope people realize is that it's not a simple for for the healthcare system, it's not as simple as just taking a bed, sticking it in a room, and saying, "All right, we got a bed." Right? It's you need the proper equipment, you need the proper the proper staff, and highly trained staff at that. Like it's not, and that's I think that's the that's probably the the biggest resource that we're missing a lot of. It's the lack of highly trained staff that we that we need to keep these beds running and keeping these patients alive. Because all it takes is for some for somebody to get sick, heaven forbid they get exposed to somebody who tested positive for COVID or people leave due to because of stress or whatever. And things snowball very quickly. And and it's so it's so disappointing to hear that to sometimes see see people think that this is not like it's nothing serious. So, yeah. The only thing I can say is just show like obviously like de- obviously it depends on where you're getting your sources from, but like get like try to take most things with a grain of salt. Like obviously if you're getting your information from somebody who's studied from like reputable scientists that have spent decades of their life in in their fields, then it's different from getting your information from your from your aunt's neighbor who posted something on their WhatsApp group you know? Yeah. So, well, thanks for that. Well, so let's, uh, let's wind things down on a, on a more, I guess, happier note. <laughs> yes. Happier note. Nightingale. We have some Instagram stuff for Dennis. Let's, uh, let's get into those. How often do samples get mixed up? Our listeners want to know. Uh, how often do samples get mixed up? Honestly, uh, a lot more than it should. No. Um but thankfully we're we're pretty we're pretty good at catching a lot of these mistakes because oftentimes because the thing is when you're collecting when you're collecting samples, uh a lot of the time it's 
you have to collect them in the right colored tubes. Like, I don't know if you both have been to your doctor's office to get blood drawn, but you know how each, the tubes that they, that the phlebotomists get, they're all like, they've all got like different colored caps on them. Oh yeah. I, I did notice that. Yes. Yeah. So it has to be, it has to be collected a certain way and only certain tests can be done on certain colored tops, tops tubes. Oh. So sometimes we'll get, sometimes there will be occasions where we'll get samples where on the same patient, but the, the labels are swapped. So that happens, that happens quite a bit. And we'll often we'll catch that pretty quickly. And that usually, that usually ends up in the patient having to get poked again. Ouch. So do you talk to the samples when no one's around? (laughs) Um, do you want my honest answer? Yeah, I do. Okay. I, I actually, it's more, I talk to the machines more so than the samples. Okay. Do you sing to them too? I have sung to them, yes. To the machines or the samples? To the sam I mean no, sorry, to the machines. I have sung to the machines. Um because with the mach- this because the machines we work with are are working twenty four seven, um, a lot of the times they're very prone to, to breaking down. So often. So you have to do like have- a little chant to get them to hope to pray that. Yeah, sometimes you gotta you gotta whisper sweet nothings to them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> just let them know be like you know what you're doing your best i believe in you you're doing your best okay <laughs> that's all that matters you're doing your best so how are the labs kept clean and sterile uh you mean like in terms of like work environment or yeah, like work environment like do you get like a cleaning crew yeah we'll have like we'll have the facilities crew come in from time to time to you know like mop up the floors and do all of that stuff uh, they don't necessarily do like a a full on deep decontamination of the of all of the floors because I don't think they have time for that. They got to do the whole hospital, so wouldn't be fair for for them to give us special treatment. Although I'd like to think that we do. Do you have any words of wisdom for anyone looking to become a lab technician? Uh, actually, I'm gonna correct you there, Nightingale. It's actually a laboratory technologist. Yeah, there's well, actually a fine there's a MLT. Just saying, how do you become just as fine as you? um what i would say is it's this definitely a rewarding profession um you do see you definitely will see you'll definitely will see a lot uh you better be prepared for an intense program because it is it's there's a lot of material to take in and the one thing i will say it's the programs right now are actually very very competitive i i think there's only I want to say five schools in all of Ontario that actually offer this program. And I can't remember all of them off the top of my head. Uh, Michener is one of them. Uh, UOIT, uh, University of Ontario Institute of Technology is another one. And for the life of me, I can't remember the other three. But each one of those programs has a every year receives upwards of a couple hundred applicants every single every single year. And they only end up taking in like 70. So it is it is an incredibly competitive program, but it is definitely it's definitely rewarding if you do manage to get in and get through the program. And uh, you're going to be in demand because right now our profession is actually going to be suffering uh, is going to have it's going to have a ton of retirements in the next um, in the next three to five years because uh, a lot of our a lot of our workforce is getting to the age where retirement is already a, just is a very, very close. And 
something that I did also forget to mention is our profession also as a whole is woefully understaffed. I think something like 70% of all labs in Ontario are understaffed. So, yeah. So if you can imagine us understaffed and having to deal with the increased workload, it's, it's, it's been tough for all of us, both physically and mentally. So if you, if you are looking for something that if you're looking for a, for a pretty good paying job and you'll probably likely be in demand once you graduate, I mean, you can't go wrong. <laughs> Alrighty. Final question. This goes to both you and Michael. Cherry Coke or cherry vanilla? Cherry Coke. Cherry vanilla. What about you, Knight? Cherry Coke. And 100% of our listeners on Instagram prefer cherry Coke. Oh. Sorry, Mike. It's okay. I really do like cherry vanilla. Uh, it's just a it's just a me thing. So to bring this to a close, how can people learn more about medical laboratory technologists? Yeah. Um, if you want to check out more about our prof- uh, profession, uh, please check out uh, the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Uh, the website is uh, csmls.org. Um, you can check them out. They're the, they're the, uh, the national, uh, they're the national society for, for, for our profession. Uh, you can also check out the one for Ontario, which is, uh, Medical Laboratory Professionals Association of Ontario, which I'm trying to remember the link. I think it's mlpao.org. And if you want a little brief snippet on what, on what it is that medical laboratory professionals do, there's actually a, a full on website dedicated to that as well. And that is medlabprofessionals.ca. I believe uh, Michael and Knight will be linking those in the description of this podcast. Is that correct? Absolutely, we are. And finally, if people want to connect with you, are you on uh, public social media like Instagram or Twitter? Um, I mean, I have a Facebook. Um, I do have an Instagram, but it is it is private, and I don't I don't necessarily right. keep any like anything medlab related on it. It's just more so for like my own personal use. But I mean, if you really do right. want to follow me on Instagram, it's double underscore D E N N I S K. All right. That's my Instagram handle. <laughs> thank you so much for being on our show today. No, thank said, you. Thank you for taking the time to have me here. I'm, I was, it was an honor. Yeah. Thank you it for was talking an honor for to us. To us and thank you for being open about men's mental health. Cause that's actually an area that's really like, you know, not talked about as often. Mm-hmm. yeah and i will can i i will can i just say one one last thing i, I think absolutely for sure like it's with just in terms of mental health like it's it's been a it's been a tough tough 10 months and i will admit there, there have been times where sometimes I, I often think to myself like am i sometimes i feel like i'm not doing enough and you kind of you kind of have like, the thing is for me too like i've i'm a chronic overthinker so that's just been something that I always think I always kind of like catastrophize things. Like I always think worst case scenario for, for a lot of stuff. And that was part of one of the reasons why I ended up having to seek therapy. Granted, there were other, there were other reasons, but I won't, I won't get too much into that, but yeah, it's just, I think it's just important just to try to find ways to kind of take care of yourself. Like you go to the gym for your physical health, like, I like to see therapy as like the gym for your mental health, right? So yeah. if if people can afford it, I definitely would encourage it. And 
yeah, I, and it's just like it, thanks to that, I've actually been able to take up like there have been certain things that I've been able to take up. Like I actually started journaling, believe it or not. Cool. Yeah, I actually picked up. I started journaling as a as a way to kind of like empty out my thoughts. Um, and it's it's never it's no nothing nothing too crazy. Just like ten fifteen minutes a day, usually in the morning, the first thing when I wake up, or a little bit before I go to bed. Just Journal buddies. Yeah. Are you one of those? Do, do you have like a full on like bullet journal collection night? Yes, I do. This is my third one. See. Ooh. That's Which nice. That's amazing. Nice. But yeah, no, it it was just one of those things that that I eventually started to pick up and just try to give myself an opportunity to just kind of empty my brain a little bit and just tell myself that like, you know what, you're it's okay to be dealing with all of this and hopefully hopefully things will pass. And yeah. Well, thanks for that. And thank you again. It's uh, truly an honor to have you here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you guys so much for taking the time out of your schedules to have me on your show. Really appreciate it. All right, Nightingale, what was our food feature today? Ginza Sushi Express, located at 10800 Bayview Avenue, Block B, Unit 6 in Richmond Hill. And if people want to connect with you online, how do they find you? Y'all can find me on Instagram at night.win. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Michael C.W. Chan. You can also find me on my website at michaelchan.ca. Listeners, we are still in lockdown. Things are still crazy. So please take care of one another. Stay home. Stay safe. And as always, stay, stay hungry. hungry. This has been Talking With Our Mouthsful with Michael Chan and Nightingale Nguyen. Music by Harrison Amer, crafts by Janine Cantrell, photography by E, and voiceovers by me, Jessica Chan. If you enjoy our adventures, please consider following or subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Want to connect with us? Maybe even participate in our podcast? Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at at TWMF Podcast. And as always, stay hungry.